0: By the way, I want to say right now, I apologize for the buzz. I don't know what that is. We're just, I'm just been praying against it, but I could be attentive. If you like me, it's a distraction. Uh, so anyway, we, it just started. We don't even know. All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna uh, continue worship this morning uh, in the book of Ephesians, and um, we've been talking to Ephesians for a while now, and, and so I, we're just gonna kind of. Jump in this morning, but um, I did want to remind you that uh, we got two more weeks in Ephesians and we'll have preached the entire book. We've been studying the book. We've, I hope you've been reading the book on your own. Um, but Ephesians really talks to us as followers of Jesus about a new way to live. I mean, I'm just more convinced than ever that we don't take this following Jesus thing seriously, you know? And I'm not like bagging on anyone out there. I'm telling you, I have a conviction of spirit that I am not taking this jesus following things seriously because if i read the second half of, of ephesians i realize that there is there's god is doing things around me that i'm not attentive to that i'm not being obedient in as a matter of fact some of the conversations i have with people who who are first coming to know christ is, is they say well you know am i gonna have to change is this gonna be different for me And and I want to point out to you that for the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul makes the case that Christ did everything for us. That the reason we have a cross is because in Jesus Christ, all sin is forgiven. We've had questions come up as we've preached this book about, well, what about me? If I've already sinned, can I be forgiven? The answer is yes. Jesus died for all of our sin. And then Paul turns to one and says, now as obedient children, follow God. He says, put off these old ways and put on these new ways. And we've kind of been talking through and piecing out these ways that we can follow him. We can put off the old and put on the new. But this morning, and as we finish up the book of Ephesians, I just feel like there, you know, I told you Ephesians starts like getting shot out of a cannon. I feel like the end is a launch as well into the world. I really do. I don't know where God is leading us together in our, in our, in our attempts to share our faith and our attempts to be more obedient to him, but I feel like these last two weeks should be like a springboard forward. And I think that was Paul's intention to the church. As he's taught all these things about how we should live, as he's wrote, wrote repeatedly to the church about specific sins and how we should stop, Specific areas we need to get hold of by the power of God. Specific places that we need to trust Jesus to be our Savior. Not just for the, you know, by and by, but for the now, the burden, the struggle. I was reminded this week that while we struggle with sin, we can pray that God would save us from it. As believers, the entire book of Ephesians is written to those who believe too many times we take it out of context and we think it's written to the world to challenge the lost. This is not the case. It is written to the church to challenge those who are believing in Christ for salvation. And so today, Paul is going to basically bring on this, this huge issue for us, and he's going to ask us to, like, double down, to, to, go, to go all in with Jesus, as he's wrapping up the letter, he can't enumerate all the possible ways that we're called to be faithful followers of Jesus, but he's asking us, and next week he'll tell us, as, as the campers and stuff have already, those folks have already learned, that, that we are getting ready for the work ahead, the work that God is calling us to do. And so today, I'm, I'm just going to let you know that there's going to be challenge in this message today. There's going to be some difficulty, probably. I'm convinced that as followers of Jesus, we have these near misses with the holy God. We have these opportunities where we come so close to obedience, and then we hedge back. Oh, that's, that's a bridge. It's just a little too much for me. And Paul today is saying, no, go for it. Do it. Commit. Take the risk. So this morning, I'm going to ask if we could have our campers. This message today is... Um, it's all about the body of Christ. And so I'm going to ask to have our campers come up, and they're going to read the scripture for us today. So I'm going to have them come up and do that. By the way, we're going to be studying, you want to turn here, Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9, okay? That's on page 813. And so they're going to read this for us, but I want you to read it also. So go ahead and open in your Bibles. If you brought a Bible, I hope you did. If you didn't, grab one of ours and flip to 813, and they're going to read this for us this morning submit one submit to one another out of reverence for Christ
1: wives submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the Savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her up for her to make her holy cleansing her by washing, by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For, his, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as much as or as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband.
0: Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well for you and that you may enjoy long life on earth.
1: Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord.
0: And, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Let's pray together. Father God, as we open your word today, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that it holds for us. We pray, Father, that in every way we would conform to your word, to your way, and to your will in this world that we would no longer conform to the world around us, but be transformed by your renewing of our mind. And Father, in everything, we give you glory and praise, and we ask that your spirit would teach us today, individually and as a church, where you're calling us to change and what you're calling us to do. May you be glorified, and may we, we be found faithful by your mercy and grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. I, I had them read that because I knew their hearts to serve. Having come back from camp, I knew they would, I was hoping, I shouldn't say knew, I guess, I was hoping they would be willing to do that for us. The key verse, the key thought today comes at the very opening of those scriptures. And it's verse 421, it's in, or 521. It's interesting that something has changed with the NIV, they've moved that verse down. You'll remember uh, last year, we preached the Love and Marriage series, and this is one where we got to this verse, and I said, I will never preach 4:22 or 522 without 521. Someone has made a decision to move it down. And the new Bibles are printing. It's actually part of the, the, the verses below it because it totally is that way in the Greek. Submit to one another, Paul says. And this is what I told you earlier that today's going to be a challenging message because at the end of all of this where Paul is teaching each of us to be followers of Jesus, to be obedient to what he's calling us to do by his power to live out this life together, he says this crazy thing, submit therefore to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a huge thing. And I feel like it's one of the most challenging aspects of being a follower of Jesus. I know many believers who will say, I submit to God. I, as a matter of fact, I know couples who are married, who are both believers, and, they, and they'll fight because they're, quote-unquote, submitting to God. They're following Jesus, and it's creating conflict in their marriage. And Paul teaches the church here that the way that you honor Jesus, that the way that you honor the Lord, that's his rule, is by submitting to one another. I want to say a few things as we start this, and then I want to just get right into the nitty-gritty here. But Paul is writing to the saints. And so the first thing I want you to know is that when we say submit to one another, we're we're speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. If you know there's a brother or sister, but we are called to submit to one another in love in respect and for reverence for Jesus. So this isn't everyone in the world, but it is a command that we're called to do. Now, here's the thing. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll see conflict amongst Christians. And with a verse like this, I wonder how it ever happens. It's because we're disobedient. It's because we don't believe it fundamentally. I've come to believe, I've come to realize, I'm coming to learn that one of the most radical, crazy, God fearing, God trusting things we can do is to submit to one another. I will be on your side when you say, that is high-risk behavior. I'm with you. It's risky. When you submit to one another, you are relinquishing control over someone else's life. You are letting go and letting God be in charge. But Paul says here, as he begins teaching, submit to one another out of reverence. That's holy respect for Christ. You see, the truth is that when you and I aren't willing to submit in a relationship, a godly relationship, when you and I are not willing to lay it down for a brother or sister in Christ, what we are fundamentally saying is we don't believe that God is big enough to handle this. We are fundamentally saying to the holy God who spoke the universe into existence, who actually knit us together in our mother's womb, who actually created Adam and Eve in his creation as the very good thing. We are saying to that holy, amazing, beautiful God, you don't know what you're doing here. And so we won't submit. We won't do it. Paul says we are called to submit to one another. in our... Relationships. The first thing is that submission is risky. <laughs> I told you earlier, it's like doubling down. Yeah, I, I'm not a gambler. But this was, I, I had, this was the vision that God gave me for this, to, this idea that you submit to one another. That when you think you've gone as far as you can go with a brother or sister, you are willing to go a step farther. You're willing to continue to pursue the relationship. You're willing to continue to give yourself over. To whom? Christ. To trust Him to be your Savior, to take the control from your own hands, and to let God be God. But this, So it's risky. The second thing, though, is it, it's all about relationships. One of the things I've been so excited to learn in our summer dedicated to Christ already, and through Lee and Emily and other examples like her, and Brian and Becky and other examples like them, is that um, fundamentally, we can't want some head count. We aren't like headhunters for God. Fundamentally, we have to desire a relationship with one another. Fundamentally, God desires a relationship with you. This is the story of the cross, is it not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Ultimately, if you look at the life of Jesus, when he walked around and shared the good news, he was far more concerned that the person would be in relationship with him than anything else. I was reminded recently that um, Jesus healed ten people one time. And there's this little story where one person comes back and says, hey, thanks for that. What should we do now? One out of ten. You know what Jesus asks? Where's the other nine? Now, why does he ask that? Do you, do you think that Jesus is, like, bitter? These thankless people, they don't even appreciate it. I used to think that was true. But lately, I think the biggest tragedy, the biggest tragedy is if God would heal us and then we would go about our own business and we would walk away from the life-saving, life-changing, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. The biggest miracle in that guy who came back wasn't his healing. It was this ongoing, enduring presence. Lord, what must we do? The biggest difference for those who are following Christ is not the moment you came to faith. It's the daily relationship between Jesus and yourself. Lord, what must we now do? It's the call as a follower to be in relationship with him. He loves us so much he gave his son for that. And so here, we realize that in our own outreach, our own evangelism, fundamentally, we have to want to be in relationship with one another. And Paul says here, to learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's risky behavior, but it's all about relationships. Someone said earlier and, and, um, that fundamentally, in a relationship between a husband and a wife, it is only excellent if Jesus is in the middle of it. That's not like a cliche thing. That's not like a, you know, that's not some passive, like, that's a reality. If you study the Bible, and some of you maybe have and don't know it, you've been to a wedding, and they've read that verse about love. We talked about that at steak night, uh, Thursday night. They talk about love, what love is. People love those words at a wedding because it sounds so sweet and beautiful and holy. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boast. But the reality is that that's written in the context of someone who has Jesus in their relationship with their spouse. You can't do that love on your own. Fundamentally, we are called to submit because it's all about relationships. And then the last thing, and then we're going to get into the specifics, but the last thing is that it it requires um, a faith in God. (laughs) That's the trouble, isn't it? I mean... I'm just telling you, and I want to be really honest with you today, but if you're saying, not me, I'm not going to submit to nobody. We live in a culture that loves to do that. I am proud. Listen to me. Look at what I can do. Look how important I am. This culture is antithetical to the God who calls us to submission to one another. And fundamentally, if we're saying, look at us, look what we can do, look at all the—we are not submitting to God. We are not being faithful. And this demonstrates a lack of faith in his ability to be Savior of all. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is have a substitutionary Savior. You know that's true? I mean, sometimes the worst thing we can do is be a Savior to one another. Well, all the time the worst thing we can do, because there's only one Savior, and it's Jesus. I want you to know as we enter into these specific areas he's talking about, fundamentally, you cannot save your husband or your wife. You cannot do it. Fundamentally, you cannot save your children or your parents. You cannot save those who are around you. Fundamentally, this is the work reserved for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, the one who is compelling his spirit, drawing us near to himself, saving us from our death and our destruction. And so today... The challenge from Scripture, if we believe this one verse, 521, memorize that verse, submit to one another. If we believe this verse, the question becomes, in what relationships do I need to submit for the glory of God? In what areas of my life is God calling me to lay it down for his glory? Paul walks through. We usually break these all out, don't we? We teach them all separately. Paul here has six specific areas, seven actually. There's a hidden one in there. Seven relationships where God specifically calls us to submit to one another. The first one we know well. As a matter of fact, it's the most controversial you'll probably hear of. It's been preached out of context often, and that's okay because God uses everything. But here it comes, it's in verse 22, and it says, Wives to your husbands, as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, which is, the sa- he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, the wives to their husbands should do in everything. And we've, we know this verse, right? Um, this is the one where we usually get pushback, you know. Uh, why should we be this way? Why should we submit? You've got to go back to verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. Because fundamentally, as a woman of God, you know there is nothing more powerful in a home than a, a faithful woman of God. Do you know that's true? Like, God will use a faithful woman. And here, he gives specific instructions to a faithful wife in a house to submit out of reverence for, for God. I want to point something out, though. I said there were seven. Here's the hidden one. Verse 24. Check. This is for us. Now, as the church submits to Christ. You know, I read that verse, and I just thought, is that even true anymore? I mean, is he even treating more that the people of God submit over to God? Or are we like doing this kind of punching our ticket for eternity thing, and then we just ignore God our whole lives? You know, there's a terrifying verse in scripture that, that Jesus says there will be someone that day who said, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? And he said, I never, what, knew you. I never had relationship with you. You never came to me. We've never talked before today. And today is a bad day to talk to me. Because today is the day of judgment for you. Interesting that wives submitting to the husband is equivalent to the church submitting to Christ. I think some of the struggle with this is because as churches, we aren't submitting ourselves over to Jesus. We just fundamentally don't believe in his lordship. We believe that he is like the icon, the the thing up the front, the thing that we're supposed to kind of follow. But we don't really believe he's living, active, and listening to us and speaking to us, telling us what we should do versus us telling him where we're going to go. The call here is that wives should submit as the church submits to Christ. That's the second relationship. Church, submit to Jesus, individually and together. Moving on here, husbands. Loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. There's all this high language. I think it's interesting that Paul spends more time, and I've preached this before, so I'm not going to do it again, but he spends more time talking to the guys in the relationship than the women. You know the fundamental issue you hear from a woman who says, I'm not going to submit. I will say that's disobedience if you say, I will not submit to my husband, Lord. Jesus Christ, my master, my savior, I am not going to do this. That's disobedience. But you know the number one reason? Because the wife doesn't think her husband is worthy of submission. Honest to God, it's probably why some of the church don't submit to Jesus because we don't think he is worthy of submission, because we don't believe the gospel. And so here Paul instructs, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He died for us. He gave himself for us. He submitted for us. You see, we read this, and we read it out of context, and we think, well, my job is to love, and her job is to submit. Those are the same thing. You know, it's an act of love to submit to one another. The call is for all of us to submit out of reverence for christ's work on the cross and he spends a lot of time telling husbands lay down your life for your spouse you know what and we talked about it this means that in a moment and i pray in your relationships church that in a moment the holy spirit of god would convict you when you aren't loving your life wife well And I pray in the moment you aren't loving your wife well, that you would stop and you would confess that to the holy God of the universe. All the better if she's present when you do it. God, forgive me for not loving my wife well. Forgive me. Why? What does God care about how we treat each other? You know, the book of Genesis says, in his image, he created them, male and female. Image bearers of God. And we aren't willing to submit. We aren't willing to love. Paul writes to the men, husbands, and he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. All kind of stuff. But I want you to sit on that, just that point for a minute. That's the third relationship. Now, usually we stop with those, don't we? That's enough for a Sunday. It's husbands and wives. That's enough, right? Check it out. Paul, this letter was written, it, like, one long thought from Paul, okay? And the next thing he says is, children, obey your parents. This is the exact same kind of call that he's given husbands and wives in submission to one another. What is Obedience. Like, what do you think of when you think of obedience? I mean, do you agree that fundamentally obedience is linked to submission? It's in 521. That what you get when you're an obedient child is a submissive child. It doesn't mean, it just, it it means that, that, and here, I want to remind you, it's written to the church. So these are believing children are called to submit to their parents in the same way. Paul says it's the first command that comes with a promise. I appreciate that. And yet we're called to do it whether there's a promise or not. We are called to obey our parents and the Lord because this is what is right, he says. Children are called to submit. Obedience is nothing more than submission lived out. That's what obedience is. Submission is saying, I will submit, and obedience is doing it, you know, There's a question that's asked, would you rather have a child who would say to you, yeah, I'll do that, and don't do it? Or would you rather have a child who said, I don't want to do that, and does it anyway? Right? We all know the answer to that question. (laughs) The child is going to do it anyway. Yeah. That's what God desires, by the way. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ himself, the holy God-man, the one, the only is in the garden, and I'm blown away by his prayer because he says, This, Father, if there's any other way possible, let this cup pass from me. That's his request. I don't want to do this. And he says, But whatever you want, that's what I'll do. And he stood up from that prayer and he went to the cross. Paul says, Children, obey your parents. That's huge, church. We're all called to do it. It's an act of love and respect for our God. And then he says the next thing, fathers, don't exasperate your children, right? Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here's this command to to a father in his home, to not frustrate your child. We talked before about how do you frustrate your child anyway? I mean, how can you really frustrate your child and your life? And we can be honory, we can do things, we can kind of needle them and aggravate them. We know how we do that to our families, right? But I believe that God is talking about something so much more profound here. I believe that fathers are called to be the spiritual leaders in their homes. I believe that they are called to love their wives well so their children grow up knowing what love looks like. Not the world's love. Not, not, not the things that the culture teaches about what love is. You know what I'm saying? But true, genuine, God-oriented love. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. The way we frustrate our kids is by not teaching them what God is teaching us. You know, too often, and, and you say, so how does this guy do a submission? What does it have to do with submission anyway? But you know what? The truth is this. If you have the courage, the audacity to believe in Jesus Christ and to believe what he's telling you is true and hear as Paul instructs the church on how to live, that means that you will have the courage and the audacity to teach your children the truth before someone else teaches them a lie. Raise them in the instruction of the Lord. That's hard. That requires submission out of reverence for Christ. I don't want to have this conversation with my child, but they need to know the reality that they face in this world. And then you have the conversation from a godly perspective. If you say, that's the pastor's job. I'll bring my kid to church. I'll have him talk to the pastor. Let me just tell you, that almost never works. (laughs) Why? God has appointed you to be a father over that child. That's a unique call. You are their leader. And uh, you can trust God. Have the faith that God will use you to give them instruction. Do not exasperate them. Instead, submit by speaking the truth to your children. I heard somebody say this week, by the way, that children are capable of understanding more truth than we can imagine. By the way, I think the church is one of the only places that don't believe this is true. <laughs> the world believes it. They'll tell them from the time to the little bitty. Here's the truth as they know it. And they just eat it up, our kids. And the parents, all right, I'm talking to you here this morning, are like, they're not ready for that yet. No, you're not ready for that yet. Teach your children the truth from a godly perspective. It's your call. And then here's the last two relationships that we see. So that's, that's three, uh, that was well, number four, um, or number five. Here we go. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. With sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Boy, this is a great verse to have in the Bible, isn't it? Slaves, obey your masters. Huh? That's what you want to preach. Why? Paul's writing and saying, God knows what relationships you're in. I think about this more, and this is funny because, you know, um, in the Financial Peace University we teach uh, from Proverbs, it says um, um, the borrower is slave to the lender. I honestly, I think most of us are in slavery of some sort, you know. Um, but this specifically is written to those who are in, in bondservant status with someone else. In the church, by the way, I'll remind you of that. And he says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear out of sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Listen to what he says, and this is a great verse for work, by the way. Obey them not only when, to win their favor, when their eyes on you. Listen to this verse. But as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, that means all the time. That means you don't act one way when the boss is around and act different when he isn't, or she isn't. It means you are a faithful servant. That means that if they sliced, if they caught you, if they busted you at work, they would catch you doing the right thing. Paul says to slaves, do the right thing all the time out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Hmm good stuff, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone who, for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. That's good news, isn't it? No matter your condition. And then this last one here, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What same way, right? Uh, look, uh, what same way? With sincerity of heart and respect and fear, just as you don't obey Christ. Like, treat your slaves in the same way. I'm the boss, man. God ordained me to be the boss around here. Read on in 9. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master, what? And yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism in his eyes. Boy, that's, you know what I'm saying? So, listen to this. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus He's writing to these kind of be group of believers. And is it interesting that he writes to slaves and masters in the same church? I mean, isn't that interesting that they're all together? And what Paul is saying here is that there is no favoritism with God's children. That we are image bearers of of, of God, and we are redeemed by Jesus Christ because we are the saints, the holy ones in God, and therefore that he is making no distinction while we're here on earth. Because of our position or power or authority. This is good news because it means that no matter your condition or state, you can glorify God through your obedience and your submission. It's good news because if you are in charge, you can bring glory and honor to God through your obedience and submission to his authority. And so here Paul has walked through all of those realities, and then says at the end, by the way, God has no favorites. You know, God isn't going to say, that's okay, husband, you were harsh to your wife or your children, because, you know, that was then. They're his children. One of the surest ways, I talked about already how to battle sin in your life, to pray that Jesus would deliver you in the middle of the fight. Don't wait till you've already sinned and ask forgiveness. You can ask forgiveness after you sin, but right in the middle, you can just say, God, get me out of this mess. I feel it coming. But you know, there's a reality that in the middle of sin, you can recognize, identify that the person you're dealing with that you aren't willing to submit to is an image bearer of the almighty, holy God. And you can in that way say, God, I don't want to submit here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to control this person. I don't want to manipulate this person. I'm going to believe that you are the Savior and that we are your children. And that, my friends, changes relationships. So... I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked earlier. In what key relationships is God calling you to submit for his own glory? What are they specifically? Right now, when you think, not there, I'm not going to submit to that. What is that, and why not? I don't know if you're like me, but God is working in those areas, challenging me in those areas. So we're going to finish with this verse because um, Paul says something interesting in the middle of all this talk of submission. And it's back in in chapter 5, verse 31. He calls it the profound mystery of Christ. And, And this is what he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I am talking here about Christ and the church. You know, that verse is almost lost in the middle of that talk of husbands and wives. But there's this profound reality that in the verse, John three sixteen, for God's love of the world, that there was this willing departure of Jesus to come and humble himself to be a man, to submit, to give himself over for our sake and for his Father's glory. There's this reality that the one who should never have had to defile himself, who should never have had to come and dwell in that way, would lay down his divine authority, who would lay down his divine position, and he would walk amongst sinners, that he would be chastised and blamed, that he'd be falsely accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, that he would would allow himself to be crucified while mockers laughed. And those with authority, spit. Paul says, in the same way, church, that you're calling, that I'm calling you to submit to each other, is the way that we see Christ, who for this reason left his father and was united to his bride, that's us. And the two are one flesh. That's the reality that we have today in Jesus Christ that he is willing to come to you right where you are. A bride unworthy. I mean, if you're like me, a sinner far from God, and he comes to you where you are and he says, I will pledge myself to you. I will give myself to you so that we can be together forever. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of the gospel. And it's offered to each one of us today. I'm gonna I'm gonna welcome you to pray with me if you don't know Christ, that today you can receive it. And it's not about family Bible church, it's not about some trickery, it's a reality that is out in the world more than it's in this place, or as much as it's in this place. That Jesus wants you to know that there is nothing you've done that he will not forgive, and no place that you will go that he will not go with you. And then for those of us to reclaim that promise. Of the bridegroom who loves us so much. that We can live out of that. Praise God for his word. Praise God for his work. Join me in prayer this morning. Father God, as we've come into your house to hear the reality of your great love for us, to somehow experience, to know more fully, your commitment to save us, we give you praise and glory. I thank you, Father, for those who are here who don't know this reality in their life because I pray that today your spirit would teach them. Father, what what can we say but thank you for the gift of life? And everything, we seem to know so much, our brokenness, the fact is, Father, it can feel hopeless from our side. And even the, the, the encouragement to do the right thing can just seem a, too high of a mountain to climb. And Father, we just pray that in these ways we could confess honestly and trust you to be our Savior. That today is more about our relationship with you than anything else. And that our lack of willingness to submit to one another is more about our lack of trusting you than anything else. Father, we pray that you would come and rescue us in this time. And we pray, Father, that we could be found faithful followers, holy people, transformed by your Spirit, renewed in our minds for your glory and for our good. May we never forget how much you love us. And may we never forget how you're continually saving us from everything. We give you praise and glory today because you are worthy, and we ask that you would work mightily now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.